Welcome to yet another episode of Candid Talks. As you all know, this is a show that talks about the story between can and did. A lot of us want to do a lot of things and we believe we can. A few of us actually have the courage to go ahead and do things. We explore that critical story between believing you can and actually going ahead and doing it. Today, if you see me smile, it's because as you all know, I've interviewed a lot of people that I'm personally a fan of. I've interviewed a lot of prominent people on the show. Today, I'm going to interview somebody that I idolize, that I've been following, and a lot of my political opinions, and you all know I'm very loud about my political opinions on social media. A lot of what I talk is a pure lift shift and copy and paste to this person that I blindly follow over the last decade and a half. Who I have today is the president and the founder of Lok Sata Party. Uh, I would hate to call him a politician given the definition that's given today to politicians. I call him an amazing social uh, reformist. Uh, perhaps the cleanest politician in the world's largest democracy. Dr. Jayaprakash Narayan, welcome, sir. It's a privilege to be talking to you today. Thank you, Tej. The pleasure is mine. Thank you, sir. So I'll, I'm going to get straight into the point. I know your time's pressure and I don't want to waste it. Uh, it's been almost a couple of decades since you've started uh, Lok Sata Party. It's called the Loks, it was called the Lok Sata Movement earlier when you started. Uh, you've represented uh, Kukatpali constituency to the assembly. You've been involved with uh, so many reforms very silently without a lot of noise. I was so happy to see you were directly involved with the RTI movement and some of the reforms there. You worked on electoral reforms for the country. What's been your lessons or what's been your learning through this journey? You know, Teja, many of us from technology background, we are very optimistic. I'm sure you can relate to it and many of our viewers can relate to that. Absolutely. Because you know, you have evidence, you have logic and a rational set of solutions. Correct. Once you have sorted that out intellectually, that's it, it must happen. And that's a very healthy attitude. In fact, that's the reason why modern world is as prosperous as it is today in the past few hundred years. If there is one lesson that I have learned in the past 30, 40 years, it is that, well, it is true. And I founded Loksata movement, for instance, in the hope that within a few years time, four or five years time, that was tentatively my time frame. Many of the things that we saw would happen because after all, these are necessary, these are commonsensical, these are based on the best practices within our own country and the rest of the world. And we can see the benefits flowing from them. Therefore, why will not they? Why will they not happen? What I've learned is while well, technology marches in that way, in some ways the consumer world marches that way because I see something advantageous and it's low cost, high quality. Um, whether I need it, or a need is created, I enjoy it, I take it. But society and polity do not change that way. Not only in India, world over. Not only now, but throughout history. Mankind takes time. There are always pioneers who take the step, who see a little ahead of uh, time. But the bulk of the people, they require three conditions. One, just because you say so, just because intellectually it appeals to me, I will not embrace it immediately. Right. I must discover the truth. And the truth cannot be discovered by lectures and study. That helps. It must be by lived experience. That over time, I must actually 
see that it is actually true. I can relate to that. And three, it must be beneficial to me. If it's a truth that has no consequence to my life, then I may not particularly be very keen to embrace it. And therefore, history taught us that it takes a little bit of time. But the greatness about humanity is that once we understand and embrace it and see the benefits of it, it's internalized. And then we move from that base. The base now is higher, we move to the next step. So sometimes it takes longer. You must never lose patience. And um, there are no instant successes. In fact, if you do indeed get an instant success, like you know, a law in place, a beautiful one, but if the people do not own it, or the polity does not own it, then the results will not flow. It will be immediately there on paper. I think that's the most important lesson I have learned personally. In fact, uh, you know, listening to you say about this, and you you made an important point around, it's just not about lectures, it's just not about reading books, but somewhere it has to marry into an experience, which means you'll have to go out there and do it. Along the way, did you have mentors, uh, JP sir? As in, because I understand IAS officers are usually uh, made to, you know, do impeccable work on administration. I, at least this is my personal opinion, I don't think they fare well playing politics. But you do that brilliantly, you balance that act even today. Did you have any mentors uh, uh, in your journey till date? I don't know if I really understand politics or know how to participate in politics, honestly. As I said, the definition varies from time to time and in the right. context. Uh, but I've always believed, whatever be the capacity as a pre-citizen, young student, idealistic and anxious about a better India or a public servant uh, or a reform movement leader or for a short time as a political activist or now again, uh, primarily a reform movement leader and hopefully uh, somebody who will try to pass the torch on to the next generation so that uh, the long-term goals of the India can be fulfilled. Uh, in all this, I think there must be consistency of communication. There must be an overarching framework. You cannot be transactional. You cannot look for today's results and a particular consequence because you desire it. You want to be in a certain position. You want to get a glory. This is all rather childish. Uh, I don't know if there's a God, but um, I'm very fond of one particular saying. It says, uh, God makes great things happen through people who do not care who get the credit. So it's not about oh. your glory. It's about your worldview. What kind of uh, society you want to see where you can fulfill human potential, eliminate avoidable suffering, and all around make a more harmonious and free and happy world. And what are the ingredients to make that happen? Now, if you are lucky to be able to play some role in that, good. Uh, if you are not able to play the role, but let's say, um, Teja is able to play that role, but the outcome is there. It's even better because you know, without you having to work, it's happening because human beings, I believe, fundamentally are lazy, me included. If somebody else does the job, I will happily enjoy the fruits. But right. it must happen. I think once you bring that approach to the table, I think life becomes much better. I can, I can listen to you all day, JP, sir, because I've seen so many of your interviews. Uh, and you keep talking about a lot of issues around youth, especially. You get called into a lot of colleges to talk to the kids and, you know, and impart this political sense, if I can call that. Do you think people today are more involved, especially the youth and the kids that are just coming up, compared to a decade so. back, do you think people are more involved today? I believe so. In fact, no. for a long time after independence, the middle classes, the educated people, the urban classes generally shunned politics. They even reviled politics. 
right. while they had to necessarily deal with those in power in general they held their noses they were not comfortable it was infrotic partly because of a notion that politics is dirty that's a universal notion that healthy skepticism sometimes unhealthy skepticism partly because democracy is alien to our culture i know i'm saying something very controversial some people may take offense right. but we're a hierarchical society true in our culture in our tradition we believe in inequality by birth not distinction on merit or your hard work uh, or your uh, competence no by birth we agree that somebody is superior somebody inferior where democracy forces us to face the notion every day right. that all of us are equal right a plumber and a prime minister have the same power at the end of the day, at least in terms of influencing the larger outcomes by virtue of their personal decisions true now i don't think many indians particularly the educated urban elite indians have internalized this notion that's another reason why voting is shunned typically in uh, in uh, prosperous democracies mature democracies it's the more enlightened more educated more prosperous people who vote more frequently right in india uniquely it is this class which generally stays away from the from the polls and from the political discourse uh, but the happy thing is in the past 25 30 years not merely in the past decade the young people the middle classes the urban people are increasingly realizing because the new class of people have much right so the old fashioned notions of hierarchy some notion of meritocracy and economic growth and incomes on the one hand and to a recognition that if you shun politics you actually suffer from the consequences of bad politics and governance therefore yeah. you have to play some role uh, because we are exposed now to the rest of the world 24 hour television mass communications and so on and so forth therefore i think on the whole the engagement today is better is it wiser that is questionable is it more i think definitely so right you know it, it's it's nice that you talk about the entire demographic of population that's actually educated that stay away from voting i remember one of your talks in i think jp jindu uh, college if i'm not wrong where you spoke about the huge gulf between the taxes we pay and and the roi we get from that from from the government right uh, so or in in again since you talk about human evolution i think every human talks about what's in it for me now the middle class that i represent and i come from irrespective of which government it is i am not getting any great benefits i don't even have a choice to choose if i want to pay tax or not it just gets cut from my salary anyway right how does it matter because all the freebies are given to a particular starter and the starter that's richer doesn't really care because they can anyway influence uh, a lot of decision at least this is a middle class man's thinking do you think that sometimes makes people stay away from voting jp sir in a significant way not only voting but also dealing with political and policy work with the disdain right you know, rohini nelakeni she wrote a brilliant piece a couple of years ago i think she entitled it as a secession of the middle classes right we are seceding from the public space schools we don't require the public schools we send our kids to private schools though it's very hard to get admission in a decent public school, private school because uh, there's so much of supply and so much competition sure healthcare we try and figure out you no know, through insurance or if you have enough money in your pocket uh, out of pocket you go and find your own means electricity we give up on the government india probably has the largest number of generators and uh, uh, what do you call them this ups or whatever right no right. the country has this as a mosquito control we have our own mechanism water supply you have aqua got 
So, you know, we made it normal. True. The whole large economy grew because of the incompetence of government. In fact, many industries will now shut down. If government suddenly provides good quality water supply, good quality power, good quality education, good quality healthcare, etc. Right. India is the biggest investment destination in the world for education and healthcare, not in other sectors. That True. means they're making two bets, the people who are investing. One, things are bad and there's a great demand. B, and this is important, these blocks will never improve it and therefore demand will continue to grow. <laughs> True, True that. And they're not wrong too, right? I mean, they're business. Not, as of now, they're not wrong. We want to prove them wrong eventually. <laughs> but as of now, they're not wrong. Now, because of this, I can understand this, this issue. But what Rohini pleaded and what I would plead is, all right, there are many services we don't need, though it's a very foolish and also expensive way of getting things done. And therefore, we may ignore the state and its competence or lack of it. Right. But there are a whole lot of other services from which we cannot stay away, no matter how wealthy we are. True. Your daughter's safety is important for you. I'm a father. Now, no matter whether you're rich or poor, whatever, if your daughter goes out to enjoy her economic liberty, intellectual liberty, uh, and pursue her own activities. But if I feel every moment by the, until she comes back home, my God, what will happen? I'm terrified. I don't think it's a happy life. There's right. no way you can privatize it beyond the point. Absolutely. Similarly, the, the stormwater drainage, you know, Mumbai City, if you remember, twice, I think, in the past 10, 15 years, we had massive floods inundating much of the city. Right. Now, Mumbaikers, the rich Mumbaikers are the richest in the, in the country. But that is, did not insulate them from the, from the vagaries of a monsoon or bad governance. Well, even Chennai, you saw film stars yeah, on the road. Absolutely, absolutely. Or sewerage system, for instance, you know, you may have a fancy car, you go out and then uh, you actually are driving to the, uh, the sewage, raw sewage. Uh, I keep telling people, no matter how wealthy you are, how powerful you are, how successful you are, the mosquito that uh, breeds in the neighborhood areas, uh, that bites the neighborhood urchin, will also enter your home, no matter how careful you are. Doesn't discriminate. Will bite you or your kids or grandkids. Right. Because for mosquito, you are the same as anybody else. Mosquito is a true socialist. And you will suffer the consequences of mosquito bite like anybody else. Now, these are things you cannot set right on your own. Therefore, right. it is not really some great notions of nobility, but it is enlightened common sense. Now, that It is important for me. I think that is what you must tell people. I don't think that if you preach them patriotism or Bharat Mata, it's going to have any impact. Of course, we'll make the appropriate slogans for the time being, but that's not really... I'm not a great believer in that kind of an approach. I think you must make people realize and internalize the notion. This is a, a very pragmatic kind of a work. 85% of my life is in my hands, but there is that 15, 20%, if that is not set right, my 85% is in jeopardy. Right. And that is the public domain. I think this message we have not really uh, spread across widely enough. And perhaps our own freedom struggles culture, it's glorious, it's extraordinary. We had a galaxy of exceptional leaders. But Mahatma Gandhi, by a powerful example, perhaps centers a wrong message. Because he uh, inadvertently gave us an impression that if you want to make a contribution to public domain, you must sacrifice everything private, because he did so. True. Your family, your comfort, your income, your career, your business, your pursuit. And that's a price unsustainable True. for the bulk of humanity. And it was also at a very different time with a different enemy, right? I mean, and therefore, we came to the sad conclusion. I can't be a Gandhi, therefore, I will ignore all the public domain. 
Actually, it's not true. What we require is combining your personal goals with public good because these are not separate. One is necessary for the other. I think that language and, and by experience, as we discussed earlier, that institution building to make that language relevant to our lives, if we practice that, I think more people will genuinely participate. Absolutely. And I, I remember you were the first one, at least in my experience, who spoke about electoral politics being very different and to be kept very different to governance. Uh, electoral politics, of course, is to win over hearts, influence people's decisions. But end of the day, good governance is what drives economy. Would drives is some. I think I've heard you speak about it somewhere. Now we've had some chief ministers uh, who spoke about governance, who spoke about good governance. But today, I see our elections, our politics are driven primarily by cult. You know, there's one person who drives everything, the messiah for for everyone. And then on the other side, I see freebie culture. Uh, something like healthcare that you mentioned, I think is great for the country. But to bring rations to home, isn't it just making people lazy and expecting the government to do everything, uh, JP? So where's this, where do we draw the line here? You know, this cult politics is not new to India. Uh, as you know, we have what we call a parliamentary system, which is actually a parliamentary executive system where the government is drawn from the legislature. Right. The British model, Westminster model. Right. Countries like the US have a direct election of the leader. Therefore, the leader is a symbol of all authority and source of all power, executive speaking, power I'm speaking. Uh, nevertheless, even in parliamentary democracies like ours, elections have become what many scholars call plebiscitary. It's all about Margaret Thatcher. It's all about Tony Blair. It's all about uh, now Boris Johnson. And in India, of course, right from Indira Gandhi's days to now Narendra Modi, and at the state level uh, galaxy of leaders, it became personality centric. And I think it's inevitable in this uh, satellite television, uh, modern day, direct kind of a contact with the public, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the real problem that we see is that, as you said, the qualities required to get elected are so far apart from the qualities required to deliver for the people after election that the means is not merely a morality question of means and ends. The means are actually destroying the ends in many ways. True. That is when we should actually wake up. It's not a morality question. I, I would like to re-emphasize. Many people confuse the work I do uh, with morality. Morality is necessary, but my work is institution building to sustain a certain conduct. Right. Which is socially productive. It's not about preaching morality to people. So in that context, if the instruments that you require to wield power are detrimental to the purpose of power, then we have to look at the instruments. Because we agree that the purpose of power is right. right. And the instruments are wrong. And despite that, I must say there are several leaders across the country in various parties who, in very hostile circumstances, uh, made a bargain. And some of them actually did a reasonably creditable job without being able to change the nature of power or the, uh, or the rules of the game, they have actually tried to marry the populist impulses uh, to get the vote. Right. The unholy impulses to sustain a political party, because honesty is no longer compatible with survival in public office in India. Even right. if individually you're honest, institutionally you're increasingly incapable of being honest. And I think so, people have also given up on that, sir. I don't think that's even an expectation now. And three, at the same time, a reasonable amount of delivery and economic growth. 
several people tried. You know, for instance, right now, in, uh, without going into partisan politics, uh, you take a state like Orissa, one of the poorest and one of the most backward states. I don't know how many are aware, Orissa now has birth rates and a demographic profile comparable to the best in the country. Right. Orissa's fertility rates are only 1.6. Uh, it's as low as any other state in the country, which is a remarkable achievement for an extremely poor and backward state. So I'm sure it didn't happen by accident. Right. There was a conscious effort by a group of people to make change happen. Take, for instance, a state like Rajasthan, one of the so-called Bimaru states in the olden days. But some exceptional people over a period of time across parties, they made sure that Rajasthan has come out of the Bimaru status. So uh, they made some compromises for power sure. and for survival in temporary political climate because they had neither the power perhaps nor the uh, inclination or, or, the, or the opportunity to bring about a fundamental change. But within that, they tried to bring about significant advances. Some of the southern states, whether it's Tamil Nadu or the Andhra Pradesh, Telangana or Kerala or Karnataka, in some ways, they're a little better because there were some efforts made. So what I'm trying to say is it's not that politics is all bad. It's not a fight between good and evil. Right. Because of folklore and tradition, we view uh, any kind of a titanic struggle as one between the, the angels and the demons, because the Samudra Mantan right. was really a fight between the good and evil. In real life, it's not good and evil. It's a very complex mosaic. Uh, therefore, instead of viewing people as good or bad, if you try and alter the incentives, understand uh, what is it that propels them, and right. ensuring that there can be promotion of public good without necessarily compromising in a big way their own personal goals, I think will make much greater progress. Right. Thank you. Thank you. I think that was so well explained, JP Sahib. I was one of the ones who always thought it's all about, um, you know, in fact, what you drive as well is all about morality. And thank you for clarifying that, because I think that's an easy assumption that comes comes to us. Now, I'm, I'm going to let you go very shortly, but I have two more important questions that I want to ask you. One, if we, there's so much talk about you know, post-pandemic situation right now. There's so much talk about how nation building should happen, the $5 trillion economy. You've been a great administrator. You've made a lot of things happen at the ground level when you were with the administration, whether it's the Vizag rehabilitation. What is your message for startups today, sir? What do you think, where do you think startups should head right now? Because I think there's a lot of conducive environments for startups currently in the country. Where do you think startups are losing out right now? I, I believe that crisis is an opportunity. Right. Paul Romer, uh, an economist, he said, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And I think pandemic, this pandemic, globally has give, opened up many avenues. And in India too, because we messed up before the pandemic, let's be clear. Right. Uh, even in economic management and pursuing reform process, et cetera, except doing a bit in infrastructure here and there, we didn't do as well as we could. And therefore, the gulf between a country like China and us has widened significantly. Right. We didn't really utilize the opportunities. Now, 20 years ago, we used to talk about demographic dividend. Uh, today, we're no longer even daring to say that. But the pandemic gave a sense of urgency now. Uh, and, and therefore, I think at least some things to put a competitive market economy in place uh, are getting into place. Now, unfortunately, because... Uh, because of political reasons, even some of the good decisions may receive some significant amount of resistance, but that's the nature of democratic politics, partly bad politicking, partly uh, bad timing, uh, because you know, this is not like a, you switch on, it's also the credibility and consistency, etc. Uh, but I think in some respects, we're in the right path. 
but there are some sectors which are crying for attention. Education, we have a sound policy in place at last, but we have to make it work. Right. Healthcare, we don't even have a policy and we have not deployed resources. Local governance, at least in cities, we must radically alter the way we manage ourselves and rule of law. These are four big ticket items, apart from the big political reform, and I'm not going into that for the time being. These are the four big ticket items which are not even touched by any political party. They lack imagination to an extent where even when you want to criticize a party in power at the state and national level, instead of focusing on what needs to be done and showing how they are deficient, you are simply focusing only on attacking everything that those in power do. That's been our bane for a long time, uh, right. which ought to be the party in power. It's always naysaying rather than articulating a sensible vision and persuading the people to support you in pursuit of that. Right. We become a very cynical and very lazy bunch of political class in this country. Uh, there's no intellectual depth nor uh, imagination, perhaps not even a moral fervor. Right. We have to alter that. Now, in that context, I think startups have a great opportunity if they leverage three things. Technology. I'm a great fan of technology. I'm not really techno savvy, but I can see the trends. I can see the world changing in front of our eyes. I think this generation is going to see the kind of change that mankind had never seen in such a short span of time. Right. The energy sector, the biotech sector, the molecular biology, genetics, and there's a change which is extraordinary and exciting and positive. I think if you really are good enough to be able to marry technology with human needs in a society like ours, and smart enough to be able to compete effectively, you have tremendous space because the space is not occupied yet, not even, not even in a small measure. Uh, the second is there are great needs which are unfulfilled. Many people are already occupying the space. Education, healthcare, apart from directly teaching or directly doing something, uh, you can leverage technology. Many people began doing it. Education is very ripe. There are 190 million kids in this country. Right. They need better quality education. Only 1% of these kids are getting something equivalent to global quality education. Only 1%. 1%. About 10, 15% are little substandard, but 80% have no future at all. No, this simply is not right. And there is hunger. There's demand. I can go on, talk about many other sectors. So if you know how to meet that demand, you know, as you call in Sanskrit, Swamikarya and Swakarya, Right. What's good for the public and what's good for you. That is true economics. That is true market economy. Now you prosper, but by fulfilling a real need, because there is also a demand. Now, how do you do that in an innovative manner, in a cost-effective manner, Indian conditions is the challenge. Right. That is the second broad approach. The third is, as people like C.K. Prahlada and others talked about the bottom of the pyramid. Right. I'm not very romantic about, the, about building a, a market based on the poorest of the poor, but happily, the prosperity levels at a certain level are creeping up. Given India's large population of 1.38 billion, even if 10, 20% become from poor to lower middle class and middle class, I'm not talking about 70, 80% becoming, right. it becomes larger than a, any European country. True. That becomes almost as big as a country like the United States. Right. So there is an enormous market if you understand the supply chains. And finally, I believe when the governments are slow to recognize it, the way forward for Indian uh, demographic transition is in situ urbanization, small towns, the growth of small towns. 
Right. There is no way 600,000 villages and 1.5 million habitats can be uh, serviced, either by public infrastructure or private markets. will be inefficient. It had never happened anywhere in the world. Our notion, I come from a village myself, our romantic notion of a village as it exists today, being a self-governing, self-sustaining uh, unit is somewhat uh, unrealistic. Right. At the same time, distant migration is both socially costly and economically unviable. And politically, it leads to volatility. It's not the best way forward. Right. The best way is how do you create small towns with urban amenities and with urban opportunities at employment, etc. as long as education, healthcare, infrastructure available, as long as you are not too far disconnected from your village environment, therefore you can continue the village economy and you can travel and so on and so forth. Uh, and you are, you can have a, actually a very decent life. You know, a top scientist, a top necrocrat must go to a Bengaluru or a Chennai or a, a Silicon Valley. But there is no reason why a teacher, a plumber and a carpenter must all go to Bengaluru or Mumbai. Because these are services everywhere in the country. That we make the plumbers and the electricians go to Mumbai and Delhi without servicing the rest of the population of India, without creating conditions, is one of our greatest failings. And you have seen the colossal tragedy that enveloped the country when the lockdown was imposed without uh, adequate precautions. And therefore, the millions of people, they had to literally walk back. Right. Therefore, the small towns, and therefore, the development of small towns and urban housing, these are going to be the future needs of the country. So if you understand the way society and market are going to be shaped, I think there are immense opportunities. Don't get too flustered about political issues, partisan political issues. You have your own preferences, you vote as you like, you articulate what you want, but don't get too worked up. Right. Uh, I always used to tell top leaders in the country, there's nothing to distinguish the major parties. It's only market segmentation. The top leaders, we can be reasonably certain that they will not become leaders of another party. But 95% of the rest are entirely interchangeable. So what are we talking about? This excitement about this party or that party is somewhat um, juvenile. Right. And There's and no reason for us to be too excited. Perhaps a source of entertainment as well for, for a lot of them. But Excessively so, I mean, to the point that it's completely disrupting our schedules. It's taking our time, energy, and exhausting us. Right. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's you. I think there are already two or three business ideas and also what you've just said in terms of where perhaps somebody wanting to start up can, can look to. Uh, I'll let you go with one final question. I, I, this is just my curiosity, my selfishness to ask you this question, JP sir. If you were, and this is hypothetical of sorts, uh, if, if you had to start Lok Sapta movement all over again, if, if let's say you had the opportunity, would you do anything differently, JP sir? Fundamental trajectory would not have changed. Let me be truthful. Right. But perhaps the location, Again, the choice was made consciously, not, not without knowledge, but I decided not to move to Delhi uh, despite advice and uh, the recognized need because I believed that wherever you are is the center of the universe. You must not allow the national capital or the state capital to become dominant in your public space. Uh, so, uh, but, but in a fundamental sense, I would have understood the nature of politics better. I did not. I thought I did. But now I understand better. Right. Two, as I said before, the notion that you can change things in a few years' time because it makes sense and is rational. If I did not have that initially, probably I would have slightly different strategies. I would have prepared 
the society and the people a little better. But otherwise, this is about a historic transformation. This is not Olympics. If True. it's Olympics or something, it's about your uh, um, practice, your work, uh, your talent, uh, your personal commitment, that matters. Right. But in public space, bringing about change is about persuading millions of people. Each has a mind of her own. Right. They have their own background, their own beliefs, their own experiences. You must respect them. You must understand them. And ultimately, they have the power and the right to make choices. And the collective choice is what ultimately becomes uh, the net outcome for the country. And therefore, no matter how much you desire and how much you believe that it is the right path, it's not yours. It's everybody's. Therefore, you must not view uh, society as a creature. It's not you know, like a fascist society where you have already a conception of a state and people are instrumental. No, people are the, the ultimate goal. It is their lives. The fullness of their lives is the goal. Everything else is only to make that happen. Right. And then we cannot use people as obstacles. We cannot treat them as obstacles. Therefore, I don't think there is room for significant change except some tactical improvements anywhere in a democracy, anywhere in the world. But you can perhaps be a little more shrewd in dealing with people. Uh, you asked a, a question earlier, I, I, I did not address that. Do I have some mentors? Right. You know, one of the things that I always try and propagate, and I should have propagated more, and I, I, I'll continue to do more nowadays. I had three mentors, uh, among many others. No, there are many people whom you never met, but you're influenced by reading, and there right. are people who, with whom you encountered personally uh, in school or in profession or whatever, and you admired them, and they taught you a lot. But there are three Indians whom I admired. And it was my good fortune that I became a great friend of all three. Uh, and it's my good fortune that in all these three areas, because of their influence, I could make some contribution uh, at the national level in this country. One of them is Varnish Korean. The reason why I'm mentioning these names is we don't celebrate our heroes. Absolutely. We don't even know who our true heroes are. Absolutely. We always think of some, some strange thing. There are exceptional heroes in our country. Varnish Korean, what he did was extraordinary. The, the cooperative, milk cooperatives and that, that movement and the uh, mode of organization, empowering people and making results happen. The second is uh, Sharad Joshi. In agriculture, he taught us really what matters from the traditional uh, notions of state support and mendicancy to how markets will work and how farmers can be fiercely free and proud and yet can deliver for themselves much as society. He taught and fought for a lifetime and only now, well after his passing, uh, we are beginning to see the changes and there's resistance because the intended beneficiaries don't even know what is in their best interest. Right. And that's one of the great challenges in, in a democracy. I'll come to that maybe a little later. The third is Rajnikanth Taroli, an exceptional doctor, he and his wife, Mabel Aroli. They built a very viable healthcare delivery system almost 60 years ago in Maharashtra Jamphead. Absolutely. Very well qualified, well educated in India and abroad. They came back and they built a viable model. When I first visited them 40 plus years ago, my dream was that what they uh, already demonstrated as viable would happen within the next 10 days, at least in 90% of India. But 50, 60 years later, it only spread to a few hundred villages. It's a disgrace. Our right. problem is not that we don't know the solutions. 
Our problem is our incapacity to replicate on a mass scale, to institutionalize. Right. And unless we really get the best from our, from our great innovators, the three of them, for instance, I mentioned, uh, I don't think that we really prosper. We already have enough knowledge of what needs to be done. We must build institutional capability to, to make it happen to the bulk of the people, not merely on a pilot basis to a small group of people, but to the bulk of the people. Uh, I truly believe that a lot more change can happen in India. We can accelerate it. If we understand our own self-interest as politicians, as media people, as people in general, and the larger public, but these are not disconnected things. These are actually integrated whole. And I think that's what these great people taught us. So, so I, I've been inspired by a lot of people myself, JP sir, and even spiritually, mythologically. I've always heard people, uh, the gurus and, and the mentors and the coaches always say, look, we can only do that much, but the actual action has to be taken by the person who wants that change. Uh, what these leaders can do is influence your thought process and make you more conscious about your decisions. You have done that to so many of us, JP sir, in terms of every time we go press that button, right? You've built, you've inculcated that little bit of conscience uh, or conscious decision to say, am I voting for the right person? And like you always say, it's perhaps just that 1% of the population that needs to think differently, come back and vote, uh, which is their right. And probably we've already made a difference to, to the nation otherwise. Uh, thank you so much for your time uh, today. Uh, and thank you for remembering that question about the mentors. Uh, I just didn't have the courage to stop you <laughs> and, and, and ask you that question at that time. But thank you so much for your time, JP. So God bless you with more strength to go make a difference to a lot of us who, who look up to you, uh, to, to look, for, look to you to get those lessons from you as well. So thank you. Uh, and thank you, hopefully I'll get to meet you I've enjoyed the conversation. I would like everybody to remember, we live in a wonderful world. This is the best of all possible worlds. And we're in an extraordinary time. Right. While there are some things wrong, let's not focus too much only on politics or something. Politics is one important area, public space, economy, technology, attitudes of society. There are so many levers have changed. On the whole, I think we're in the positive trajectory. There's a lot more to be done, but let's not do it from a from a position of weakness and despair, but from optimism and, and courage. I wish you all the very best. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you as well.